What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 50th episode of the Promenade Merchants Podcast. The cool, scrappy, underdog Star Trek podcast has hit its 50th episode. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I'm David Majors, and for the 50th time, it is my pleasure to introduce my fantastic co-host, Miss Heather Kirby. Heather, we made it to 50 episodes. (laughs) We made it to 50 episodes. And you know, uh, because... Every five episodes, we have the opportunity to have a special guest. And, you know, I'm not 50 years old yet. You're not 50 years old yet. We had to find someone who was over 50 for our 50th episode. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I love you, man. I don't even know how old you are. Uh, But uh, it is my great honor to welcome one half of the Famous, infamous, whatever you want to call them, uh, one half of the Trek Geats podcast. Bill Smith, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. And and for the record, I'll be sixty five next August. <laughs> hey, no, kidding. <laughs> you, kidding. You don't you don't look a day over seventy, Bill. I I know, and actually, I, I am over fifty. So I mean, this uh, this actually works out pretty well. Uh, David Heather, thank you so much for having me on your show. I am excited to be here. Uh, I I I. Although I have not listened to many podcasts since I stopped commuting, um, yours is one I, I do check out on occasion and listen to regularly when I was in the car. So thank you um, so much. It is it is an honor for me to be here. The honor is ours. And, and you know, as much as I, I joked in that intro, you know, I when considering who to ask to join us for our fiftieth episode, I wanted someone who was really important to both of us and to uh, our podcasting journey in general. And it, it's, I, I thank you so much for listening to us and supporting our podcast. And that's why we really wanted to have you on. So thank you. Well, it's, it, it's really my pleasure. I mean, it, I look at Star Trek podcasting as a community. I'm not in competition with anybody. You know, I think that the more voices that are out there talking about Star Trek and the more conversations we're having, the better it is for podcasting and for the franchise and ultimately for fandom. So I am excited. No, honestly, I would rule the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, actually, you probably will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, uh, I, it, it's, it's always exciting for me to, to be on shows that, that aren't involved with Trek Geeks because I like to, to spread that love to other shows because I, I think that podcasting, especially in Star Trek fandom, is important. Very true. Couldn't agree more. So let's just jump in uh, for everybody out there that might be tuning in for the first time. And we know since Bill is here, he, he's he's a big draw. So for everybody out there listening to Promenade Merchants for the first time, we kind of do our show in uh, a format. We're going to start with the old business, which is where we kind of go around the horn with classic Star Trek conversations, including everything up to... The Kelvin movies going all the way back to The Cage, which is all the more relevant now, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And Heather, I really liked this topic for old business that you came up with. So please tell us all about the power of friendship. Well, you know, I thought especially for our 50th episode, it was important to celebrate the power of friendship because a lot of, especially in our Star Trek podcasting community, a lot of our podcasts and and uh, hosts in general are built around friendship. You know, you're you're more comfortable 
sitting here and just discussing Star Trek with people who you are friends with, who you enjoy talking to. Uh, so friendship is a huge part of Star Trek. So I wanted to talk about the like some of our favorite friendships throughout the Star Trek universe. Now, Bill will ask you first for every friendship pairing bromance out there in Star Trek. What are some of your favorites? You know, I mean, I grew up on the original series in the in the seventies when it was in syndication. Because, as Heather aptly pointed out, I'm old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I have to say that the first one that comes to mind has to be Kirk and Spock, and actually Kirk and Spock and Bones, if you think about it. Yes. Um, because it is just so it, it is so classic. I mean, it is the model for pretty much all of the other Star Trek friendships to some extent. Um, it it taught us that these people who who work together in outer space, regardless of where they're from, have these relationships that bring them closer. They go through these kinds of experiences that create a bond between them and that those bonds are important. Ultimately Um, that one is one of my favorites. Um, I think back to, to deep space nine um, and there's a whole bunch of friendships there. And ultimately I think my favorite one has to be Odo and Quark, although neither of them really would admit that they're ever friends. (laughs) (laughs) They are probably, at least since Spock and McCoy, who who would go on my list, probably Star Trek's best example of frenemies, as it were. Uh, I think for me, it would be uh, Harry Kim and Tom Paris from Voyager. I, I thought that those two had a really fun dynamic of being friends, but also kind of ribbing each other. And that that's just very, it's very guy stuff, but I, I always got a kick out of it. And also, I think on DS9, yes, definitely Odo and Quark. That was a big one. And... I guess, and here's where David gives out one of his weird DS9 opinions that that goes in a weird place. I'm going to go ahead and say Ducat and Damar. And the reason why is so often in television and sci-fi, you don't see the antagonists, the bad guys, with friends that actually care about one another. Through everything that happened on DS9, all the way to the end, before Ducat went to the fire caves with the Pa Race, he essentially told Damar that he has his blessing to lead Cardassia, because they were that close for a really long time. And I thought it was really fascinating to see the antagonist in a show actually have a genuine friendship. And I thought that was really, really interesting to watch. Um, Jordy and Data as well on The Next Generation. It was uh, an opportunity to watch both of them learn and grow from each other. So those are mine. Heather? Well, you know, I wanted to, because I had a feeling what some of you guys might mention. And so I wanted to bring up some of my favorite female friendships. Uh, across Star Trek, because, you know, I, I, I'm i the woman voice on this podcast today, so I get to do that. Uh, but to start, uh, I got to mention, and as much as I'm not a huge TOS fan, um, I love the friendship between Chapel and Uhura in TOS. 
Um, you only get to see glimpse, glimpses of it and bits and pieces of it, but I think it's something that we might get to see explored a little bit more in our new show. So that's really awesome. Um, we have Deanna and Beverly in the next generation, uh, which once again, like you only get to see it here and there, but you know, they have a fairly close friendship. And I think also being the counselor and the doctor, they just, they work together well. And so that helped evolve into a, a deeper friendship as well. And then uh, one of my favorites is from DS9, uh, Kira and Dax, because they're yes. just two fierce, badass women who like to go and, you know, exercise with their <laughs> martial arts training or something together. <laughs> I can picture them doing that. They're fantastic. And the, the friendship that they really bonded over just their uniqueness, I think, uh, and their differences. It wasn't their, it, it, well, it was their similarities, but also their differences that really bonded them. So. I really liked the Kira and Dax relationship on DS9. They they were fun together. And what I loved more often than not is that you saw Jadzia really work on bringing Kira Norris kind of out of her shell and be a little bit more relaxed and a little bit more outgoing and, and show that she's more than just uh, the Bajoran militia, ex-terrorist, hates the Cardassians. It it gave a little bit more of a dimension to her character, and she's always been one of my favorites in the series. So, yeah, I totally agree with you on that one. I mean, even after Jadzia died and the relationship fell onto Ezri, like, you could see how important their friendship was, that Kira still wanted to make a friendship with Ezri, even though her friendship was with Jadzia. So she she still wanted to have that bond, but it was it was hard for her because it was a different person. But she got over it and, and still made friends with Esri too. So I try to think of what would happen if if say Dan had been a Trill and his host had had to go into another body. I think my friendship would be a hundred times better, quite frankly. <laughs> and like, of course, we always take shots at each other when the other one isn't here. So that will probably be the first of many just to advise the audience. Well, I'll have to make sure that we get Dan on at some point. Dan, the other host of Trek Geeks, we have to make sure we get him on as well because we got to keep it fair. If, if Bill's going to roast Dan... Dan gets to roast Bill. It's it's only fair. Yeah, well, you just David, life is not fair. So. That's right. <laughs> I'm just saying. But it's still my podcast. <laughs> and I'm the one that books the guests. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. All right. Um. So, new business. Let, let's talk about this. The much-talked-about last two episodes of Star Trek Picard. Now, as you heard at the beginning of this episode, uh, we are going to put uh, a little bit of a warning on this one. There is some fairly graphic, explicit content on this one. There is, there is talk about things like suicide and death and mental illness. And, and I talked about those things on the previous episode as well. So if you're a little sensitive to those topics and you want to skip ahead, that is totally okay. We'll put some timestamps in the show notes. Thank you for listening. If you want to skip ahead, go right ahead and do it now. 
So episode nine of this season, Hide and Seek, the Borg Queen, Dr. Sung, and the drones have made it to La Sirena. There's all sorts of action in this episode. Action, action, action. Action-packed. Jean-Luc and Talon make their way through the tunnels under the chateau, and we learn the truth about Yvette Picard. Uh, Heather? Well, no. Bill, actually. Bill? I talked on the last episode of Promenade how the story with Yvette really reminded me of a lot of things in my own life. And I felt like when I saw this, this episode, specifically what with happened with Jean-Luc and his mother and going through the tunnels in the chateau, it probably struck me differently than a lot of other people. So I want to ask you, Bill, how did you feel when you saw that particular moment in this episode? I, I want to, I'd like to say I didn't see it coming. Um, but, but I did on some level. I didn't think it would be the kind of situation where, you know, he opens the door to the solarium and, and there she is. Um, but I, I had a feeling that we were on a buildup to something very, very bad happening with Jean-Luc's mother. You know, there was a lot of speculation throughout the season. Well, maybe the Borg queen is his mother because she said, look up. And it's like, yeah, no, I, I, I don't think that's the case given everything that's going around. Also, knowing how much of, a, of an anti-technology person Picard's father was, I guess I'm not surprised that he locked her in her room. Because he seemed to just really discount anything modern. And I'm guessing that probably also includes um, mental health care. Now, that's a, a leap on my part, but it, it all made for a very uncomfortable viewing, I have to say. Agreed. Agreed. Uncomfortable would be the right word. But I think that, and again, I'm coming at this from a very unique perspective. Mm-hmm. It was cathartic in a weird way because it felt like a conclusion that, like you said, I, I think it was pretty easy to see coming, but the fact that they actually showed it and Jean-Luc was able to work through those emotions, it was a, a way of allowing anyone who might have experienced that to know that they're not alone and this is something that you can endure and you can survive because it is an extremely difficult thing to deal with. And this idea that this character that we've all known for over 30 years, the venerable Jean-Luc Picard, had this deep deep trauma that he buried deep within his mind, but was still affecting him on a subconscious level. Uh, it shows that even the greatest characters in, in this franchise are still human, they're still flawed, and that's okay. And even the great Starfleet captains have things they need to work through, and that is okay. 
And I, I felt coming out of that, I'm not necessarily going to say positive, but it was resolute and, and cathartic. That's the word I'll use. I think it's a great reminder too that nobody or no two people process trauma the same way. You know, I'm not surprised that, you know, a lot of this was sort of vacant in Picard's memory because I mean, you know, I've, I had a fairly traumatic childhood past and there are elements that, that I didn't even really recall or remember completely enough until I started to, to go through therapy. So I can appreciate that some of this seems brand new to him because he hasn't really thought about it since it happened. And sometimes you have to do that when you go through such a traumatic event like that, when you see your own mother not being able to control their own mind and, and eventually self-destruct, you, you really have to find a way to get through that at a young age. And therapy may not be available to everyone for one reason or another and you you have to find ways to soldier through it for the lack of a better term and i think that humanizes jean-luc picard in a way that really hadn't been done before and uh, i was talking about the humanization of star trek characters um yesterday with jesse gender about how that's not necessarily a bad thing we have these tentpole characters in this franchise that we love they don't have to be perfect and Jean-Luc Picard has never been perfect and I'm okay with him having this because now it is something that I can connect to and I'm sure a lot of other people can connect to and they can see that what Star Trek was all about is showing what humanity is capable of becoming. And if someone like Jean-Luc Picard had this trauma to work through and became the man he is, then that means any of us can, I think. You know, I, I think that's a really great point. I mean, it's at the end of the day, I mean, no real Star Trek series until kind of modern Star Trek is kind of processed how these people who work in space and go through some of these incredibly, you know, uh, the epic and, and, and massive problems, you know, Borg invasions and, and, and you name it, how they really process trauma. Really only one other time it's happened. And that was with Picard and the TNG episode family. Other than that, and maybe Janeway in, in the episode Night, you don't really see how this affects these people long term and how they deal with it. So we kind of got, you know, kind of a, a multi-episode exploration of this in Picard. And there's the part of me that that wants to say, yeah, it's it's long overdue. We have to show these people as human because this is about the human condition and the human adventure. Um, although I, I wish they had made some choices differently in showing this trauma. I ultimately I'm glad for this. Um, this journey for Picard, especially at this phase in his life, because honestly, it's what's been holding him back all this time, and he just had no idea. And that that can that can happen, it absolutely can. But I think we've talked enough about that, so let's move on to episode ten, shall we? Wait, 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 and, wait, wait, wait. Oh, Heather, Heather. Okay, so uh, 
Yes, I was very silent for most of that conversation because I really did not feel up to discussing Yvette with you guys. And that's my choice. Um, But there is something I want to bring up about episode nine that I also had an issue with, which I want to talk about. And that is what happened to seven in episode nine. Um, Like we see, we've seen throughout, especially uh, season two of Picard, how seven's Borg implants have impacted her negatively since returning to the Federation and how she's been ostracized almost because of it. And then uh, in the end of episode nine, in order to save her life, she was forcibly assimilated again without her choice. And I, I have a big issue with that. I mean, we, we watched like, and I, I'm going to get a little political here and I'm sorry guys, but we watched in our country this week, we got the news of the Supreme Court wanting to abolish Roe versus Wade, which is basically a huge landmark in a woman's right to choose what happens to their own body. And then we saw on Picard where Seven, once again, did not have the right to choose what happens in her own body. Yes, it was to save her life, but she still didn't have that choice. It was the choice was taken away from her and we don't know whether she would have chose to do that or not. And I have a hard time reconciling that, especially with this character that I love and relate to. And you got to watch her once again, be assimilated by the Borg without her having the choice to do so. I mean, all they needed to do was just add one scene in which the Borg queen asks her, And she says yes to save her life. And then it would have been okay. But they didn't do that. And it's not that hard to give a woman the right to choose. It should have been in there. I think that brings up an excellent point on your part. I think it really, really does, especially now, especially right now. Yeah, I think that was a big miss on the part of Star Trek Picard. And I think that... This is just one of another thing that I think that Picard has really slipped on. Um, I think that in the case of Yvette Picard, that they really didn't warn people of how that was going to go. I think that was a, a big mistake on their part. And your point about seven here is an excellent one. I, I, I absolutely see where you're coming from on this. And... I wouldn't even really bring up the point that Seven's life was on the line. Uh, we don't know if she would have been willing to sacrifice herself or not, because it really didn't come up. And yeah, yeah Heather, I, I, you make an excellent point. You absolutely do. Yeah, agreed. That's a that's an absolutely fantastic point. And like you said, Heather, it, it's all more relevant now, especially in the wake of, of what's been going on in current events. It, um, it it certainly paints that whole scene in a different light on rewatch too. I rewatched that episode earlier today and I, I have to say I, I was kind of left with the same feeling. It's like, you know, it, it really would have taken maybe just 10, 15, 20 seconds at most to throw in that extra little bit of dialogue. And I think it totally changes the entire intent of the scene. Absolutely. All right, so episode 10, unless there's anything else we need to cover for episode 9? Nope. 
That's good. Let's go. Okay, episode 10, Farewell. One Rene lives and goes on the Europa mission, and another dies. Kore, Dr. Sung's, quote, daughter, unquote, has a new fate, and in, thanks to an old friend, and Picard season two reaches its conclusion. I think, first of all, let's get one out of the way, where we saw the return of one Will Wheaton playing Wesley Crusher, <laughs> a.k.a. The Traveler. Wheat things. <laughs> I, um, that's I Dr. Wesley to you. Yeah, that's it. That's it, Dr. Wesley. Um, I have <laughs> no, it's totally different. It's totally different. It's definitely not Time Lords. Definitely not. Uh, I have mixed feelings about this return of Wesley Crusher. On one hand, it is so great to see Will Wheaton back in this franchise, back as as you know the, the artist formerly known as Wesley Crusher, you know at some at some level, and to sort of get that, um, I don't want to say justification, but sort of that gratification knowing that he still is a part of Star Trek and an important one. On the other hand, I feel like the moment was thoroughly wasted. Um, it, if you remove that scene from the episode, it doesn't matter in the scope of the plot. It, it, it's it's waste. It, it's a wasted opportunity because what they, in my opinion, what they really should have done is they should have had Wesley help Picard, and that would have provided a, a much, uh, I think, a better return for for Wesley. I think it would have been good to have that interaction and have that connection especially at this phase in Picard's life. And I think they could have found a way to serve the plot with it um, a little better, perhaps in regard to the Europa mission, perhaps in regard to Q. But I really feel like it was a super missed opportunity because the only person he connected with was Corey. I I, I agree with you on that. Um, I feel like there might have been more there that kind of got cut. Because the way, uh, like the 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 way it's written, like Corey thinks she's meeting up with Q, right? And then you see Wesley there, so it feels like it's missing a piece of how they got from here to there that would have have made it feel more important. But because that piece isn't there, it just feels like you could cut it out, and there'd be nothing. To I. It. I know that uh, I believe Wesley mentioned that the travelers do kind of look over the watchers to make sure history goes the way it should. And I guess that's one line that they put in there just to at least try to make sense of why he was there. But this felt very shoehorned into me. Yeah. It felt very abrupt and nothing against seeing Will Wheaton, nothing against seeing Wesley Crusher. But it looked like they weren't really sure of what to do with Kare uh, and, and how to conclude her story, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later with Picard. And this almost seemed like kind of a last minute bit to give her something. Um, Isabriones, I think, did not have a lot to work with this season, and that was kind of a letdown. And Corey getting this uh, fate where she's going to be traveling through space and time uh, is definitely not a companion of Wesley Crusher. Definitely not. It kind of felt like a letdown for 
what was essentially a pretty important character and an important part of the show so far felt like kind of a letdown. I don't disagree with that at all. I, I, I feel like she was completely underused in every fashion this season. Whereas sort of last season, uh, I lost count of the number of Soong type androids that Issa Briones played this season. <laughs> as soon as, you know, uh, as soon as we saw her in episode one and she was off on her, you know, on her, uh, her welcoming tour, you know, to, to other people, um, we didn't see her for what a handful of episodes. So yeah. I, I, I want to say criminally underused, but I feel like that's the case with a lot of characters this season. I think that hers is the most prominent underuse uh, because she was just so amazing in season one. I, I feel like, I, I feel like perhaps that part wasn't, thought out particularly well and they tried to make the best of it in the back half of the season. I don't know that for sure. That's just the impression it leaves with me. Well, I I feel like uh, they tried to ultimately balance their use of characters between season one and season two. So there were some people in season one that got like criminally underused Rafi Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then became a more important part in season two, but that also left to, to other people like Issa Briones going to the wayside. So it's like they didn't, they never really found a balance between all the cast of characters that they had to have everyone feel like they were playing an important role in either season one or season two. Some have a bigger role in season two. The other ones had a bigger role in season one. Heather, I'll ask you first. How did you feel about how the story concluded, where Rene Picard made it to space, but unfortunately we'd lost Talon? Uh, they made it back to the future, if you will, and it was the correct timeline. And we see Q give Jean-Luc a gift as a goodbye. You know, I, I... I enjoyed how it included or how it concluded. I think it, it, I don't know. To me, it didn't feel like it really left anything hanging. Like there were some expectations that were fulfilled, like Rio staying in the past. And we talked about that in a previous episode. I definitely saw Rio staying in the past happening. Yeah. Gerardi yeah. uh, becoming the board queen of the future, like saw that happening. Um, Seven and Rafi kissing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'd throw that in there. But yeah, saw that happening. That was awesome. Uh, uh, one of the... I, I was pleasantly surprised with how it ended because I think we all thought Q was up to something incredibly malicious. And to find out that that wasn't really the case, it was really just him trying to help fix Picard and to deal with his his traumas. Um, I mean, he did it in a typical Q fashion, which just screwed everything up. But to, to find out that it was ultimately from a place of love and caring for him uh, was really heartwarming. And I appreciated that. Um, I loved the resolution when they get back to the present on the stargazer, uh, because that little scene (laughs) when 
Picard looks at Seven and say, oh, says, okay, you have a field commission. Then she sits down in that captain's chair. I mean, that was all the glory that Seven of Nine has deserved for many, 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 many years. Um, and just learning to not take things at face value and appreciate that the Borg, Gerardi's new version of the Borg, was just trying to help and save people. And then ultimately working together to save hundreds of millions of people. Um, I mean, I can see that that there's always going to be some people who sit there and complain about the writing and say it was rushed and whatever, but it, it, it was heartwarming and it felt good to me. Ultimately all the conclusions. I think they wrapped it all up and they wrapped it up very quickly. I think this probably could have been one more episode stretched out because it did feel like the galactic wall with the the giant explosion, Rio staying in the past, Q talking to Picard, Seven and Rafi. I feel like this could have been stretched out to one more episode, but... I've already gone on at length about how I think modern Trek oftentimes has pacing issues and that it can go too quickly. So at this point, we're just kind of taking it as part of the territory. But they did wrap things up well. Uh, My guy, Chris Rios, is staying in the past, as expected. It is what it is. Okay. Okay. Fine. Uh, Rafi and Seven of Mine, they kissed. That was great. Elnor is alive. That's cool. And Q giving this impassioned monologue to Jean-Luc uh, with this idea that even gods have favorites. And I don't know. D- does this redeem Q for me? Because I've I've never loved the character. I don't know. But but I know that at the end Q's heart was in the right place, which is weird to say. <laughs> he he did clearly want the best for Jean-Luc, and it, it just took him doing his own thing to help Jean-Luc get there. You know, I, I have to say that I've never been a huge fan of the Q character either especially the way he was introduced. You know, Dorothy <laughs> Fontana writes a, a full script for Encounter at Farpoint, and then Gene Roddenberry goes back and inserts all the Q scenes just to make it two hours. Um, I always thought it was it was kind of half improvised and half compromised. But every time Q has appeared since then, I've never found him sinister. I've never found him necessarily a threat. And I've always felt like he was trying to teach Picard something. Whether or not Picard wanted to learn that lesson or not is is debatable. But I felt like this last lesson was probably the most caring one, which is really kind of weird to think about Q. But that last scene between uh, Delancey and, and, and Stuart, I, I got to say, it, it left me more than a little misty-eyed. Um, I, I wasn't expecting that kind of resolution between these two characters. And when I got it, it was far more satisfying than I actually thought it would be, to be honest. Oh, yeah. I agree. I think, Bill, 
there is something about the way this concluded that is really making me curious about how season three is going to go because there was a finality to it between Q and Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, if Q really is gone, that essentially means the trial that started at Encounter in Farpoint is pretty much over. And now it makes me wonder what season three is going to be like. And I guess I want to talk a little bit about what we know about season three now, guys. Because right now, season two has wrapped up. We'll talk about season three in a minute. But I'll ask you guys. I'll go around. Heather, how did you feel about Star Trek Picard season two overall? Um... Overall, I liked it a lot better than season one. Um, I think the story was more uh, well-rounded and uh, concise instead of like, I I thought the story for season one was kind of all over the place. Um, I still had my issues with season two, though. Um, I think there were a lot of things that, you know... uh, and I, it, it, it got this criticism in the the first episode when they were in the past and they were talking about uh, how they kind of w- were very straightforward with the subject of ICE and immigration uh, and kind of like bonk you on the head straightforward. Um, and I didn't disagree with that assessment then, but I thought it was needed. I think there were a couple other things in season two where they didn't have to be as straightforward with how they were dealing with stuff. And so they could have put a lot more nuance into their writing instead of kind of visually like throwing it right at you in order for you to process, especially when you're dealing with really heavy themes like that. Uh, I I felt like it could have been a lot more slightly nuanced and easier for people to process, especially uh, the, the darker traumatic stuff of it. Uh, So I I do want to put that criticism out there, but other than that, as a whole, um, I really enjoyed season two a lot more than season one. Bill. I think that season two was was decent. I, I liked it very much, but it, it almost feels like it, if I cut it in half, it feels like two different seasons, you know, because the first half of the season gets off to this, this really sort of, you know, right out of the gate, you know, moving at a fast pace and, and we got to figure out what's going on. And that turns very quickly into an out of time slash fish out of water story it evokes a lot of Star Trek for the voyage home with regard to what they have to do and, and how they have to get around sort of modern day. And then all of a sudden it becomes this introspective look at, you know, Picard's psyche. It's almost like they draw a clear line at the Europa fundraiser or whatever that was, the, the big charity ball. And mm-hmm. it became thematically and tonally a very different second half of the season. I think it's a season that will hold up much better on binge watching, quite honestly than week to week yeah. release. But yeah. I, 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 I did like it overall, although I think my main criticism is 
there just wasn't enough Q. There was a good three, four episode span where there was nothing for the most part. I mean, a little appearance here in the basement of the FBI building, but other than that, I, I feel like Q could have been a more present participant in this journey for Picard and created a lot more conflict there so that that resolution at the end, beautiful as it was, meant even more. Yeah, I agree. I like where you're coming from on that one. I will say that I liked Picard season two more than season one. I love the action in both seasons of Picard. I love the action sequences they put together. I loved that they had some comedy uh, in a, in some of those action sequences. I loved that we really got to explore the actual character dynamic between Seven of Nine and Rafi. We, we got to see them interact as human beings, and they had a really cool relationship dynamic. I loved watching those two together. Uh, I think that getting to see what Rios went through was important because Star Trek has always done the thing of showing you what is happening right here, right now, putting it right in front of you in a sci-fi lens to help people realize this is what's happening and it needs to be rectified. If you want the optimistic Rottenberry vision of the future, you got to fix this stuff first. And I, I always appreciated that. And I think what they did with Rios uh, in that part of the story arc was really, really good. I liked that they gave him a satisfying conclusion. And I appreciated, even though he was the character that I would have hoped to have seen go back to the 24th century, the way that he said it, that he knew that he never totally fit in. I understood that because seeing what I saw in the character, I understand that feeling of never quite completely fitting in with everyone that's around you and wanting some time to have some space to yourself. I don't have holograms, but you get what I mean. <laughs> and you need holograms, by the way. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> that'd be fun. <laughs> uh, I like that he found a purpose in the past. He, he found a real purpose. Uh, he was just kind of floating along in his timeline, but... When he found Teresa and Ricardo and the hospital, it really gave him a purpose. And the way Guinan talked about Rios at the end was his own kind of satisfying conclusion in that he helped Teresa maintain the hospital, uh, helped an organization of helping people, sick people all over the world, and kind of going out the way he came in uh, with a cigar for me as someone who really loved Chris Rios for him to go out like that was was satisfying uh would i have loved to have seen him as the captain of the USS Stargazer uh, in a new series you damn right i would but i i am okay with how this concluded on the other side of things with Picard, this still felt like there was a lot happening 
and it was hard to really tie it all together. They they did a good job of kind of putting everything in its place by the end, but it just felt like there were a few times where some of the episodes just really weren't going anywhere. Some stuff with Dr. Sung, it kind of, it took a while to get to where it needed to go, and then it ended with Corey joining the Travelers, and Dr. Sung, we saw him open that folder, so he, he really didn't learn anything from any of this. He's still a, a Sung, and now we know that the Sungs have always been like this, and they will continue to be like this for centuries. I think it's because the Sung family tree doesn't branch. (laughs) (laughs) They're all the same person. (laughs) Yeah. It's weird how they all look like that. I know, right? It's, um, you know, you brought up a good point earlier. I really think this could have used one more episode because I felt like the whole, you know, back on board the Stargazer and let's work together with the Borg thing kind of was, was really way quicker than it needed to be. You know, let's let's spend one more episode trying to figure out this problem and then give everybody the resolution they deserve. But okay. Bill, it would be another modern Star Trek where the galaxy's extinct. I know, right? <laughs> um, it's, I've been thinking about that a lot lately, and and that ultimately is what modern Star Trek does. I um, I although I think there were more human stories in this season of Picard. Uh, I really liked season one, by the way. I liked season two kind of, um, but both were very deep look at who this person is at this phase in his life. And I think that's, you know, when you consider that like 5% of the show occurs in space this season. I thought that was really kind of a nice refreshing change up and kind of a, a neat look at Star Trek sort of planet side. You brought up a great point there just a second ago in that, Looking at this show and looking at these two seasons as a character study of the man, Jean-Luc Picard, it is very compelling because throughout the course of The Next Generation, we only saw him as one thing, and that shell was rarely cracked. But now we are getting deep into what makes Jean-Luc Picard, the man he is, and I think that's really good. Do I think that the surrounding cast around him could have had a little more to work with? A hundred percent. But at the end of the day, it is still Star Trek Picard, and that's what matters. Yeah, it's it's not Star Trek The Next Generation Phase 2. That's next season. (laughs) (laughs) well no i was reading an interview earlier before we started and they're saying that even though it will have the new cast or or rather the tng cast members uh it is not uh as i was reading going to be a trip down memory lane so it's not gonna be kind of a tng nostalgia thing but i i have to admit the news coming out that Isa Briones, Evan Angoria, Evan Goria, and Allison Pill not appearing on in season three, and Santiago Cabrera especially. Right. Losing those four cast members, it's kind of soured me on Picard season three. I I don't I don't like where that's going. 
it hasn't soured me. Um, it, it does. I don't want to say depress me. It does make me a little sad because I feel like, you know, those people could still play pivotal roles somehow. I don't know how. Um, obviously, I'm not a writer and I don't play one on television, but I, I would have loved to have seen both full casts work together um, in some way. Um, now, I, I get that even modern TV has a budget. I understand. I don't like it, but I imagine that some of those were um, perhaps a budgetary move on, on some level so that they could get all of the you know season seven regulars from next gen. Uh, that's just a guess. I mean, I it hasn't really soured me on the idea of season three, but I I will actively admit that I am a nostalgia whore. <laughs> okay, and, and I, I'm Mister Anti Nostalgia. I've I've been that way for years. I, I I am a complete nostalgia whore, so I am. Very much excited to see the entire cast reunite and to see all of them together. And when you talked about how season one and season two have really been an exploration of Picard's psyche, um, I think its only logical conclusion is to see him with his TNG family in season three to finish that exploration. Uh, do I wish that there were more of the new characters and cast members from one and two returning in season three? Yes, I do. Um, I feel like they gave Rios a satisfying conclusion and they gave Jurati an explanation, <laughs> explainable conclusion as to why we won't see the two of them in season three but when it comes to uh elnor and soji i feel like there's some way they could have weaved the two of them in there and so to know that they're they weren't a part of season three at all is a little disappointing yeah because at this point the only one who's not a legacy character that's going to be in season three is rafi <laughs> Right. All, all the rest of them are. Uh, so yeah, I feel like they could have had, they could have involved Issa and Evan more, but I'm not, I'm not completely disappointed because I, I, I really am that excited to see what they do with the other TNG characters, especially the ones that we haven't seen in Picard yet. So, uh, Crusher, Worf, Jordy, which version of the Soons is Fred Spiner <laughs> going to be playing? Right. right. Um, uh, I, I, I'm excited to see where where those are those guys are because we know what happened with Riker and Troy because we've met them already in season one. But uh, that that's what I'm looking forward to for season three the most. I think we still haven't even heard about Doctor Pulaski. <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a big Pulaski fan. I'd love. Thank to you. Out. Yes. Uh, um, okay. You know, I, I I don't I don't dislike her. I just keep in the back of my mind, she she boned Riker's dad. <laughs> and then, I am I am Pulaski gang all the way. <laughs> I, I I don't dislike Beverly Crusher, um, but I do appreciate what Pulaski brought to season two. Personality. 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm not touching that. <sighs> I don't know him. <laughs> New podcast. Who dis? Yeah. <laughs> New podcast. Who dis? Pulaski gang. Um, all right. So upcoming business, uh, guys, I don't know if you've heard about this or not, but there's this show called Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Have you heard of it? Nope. No, no. What is it? Well, uh, there's this show that is starring Captain Christopher Pike, number one, and young Spock on the NCC 1701. And it just premiered on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, we meet Captain Pike after the events of Star Trek Discovery Season 2, which means it's canon. You can't run from Discovery. <laughs> and he is on leave, and Admiral Robert April has told him that he has to get back on the Enterprise sooner than he planned, because number one has gone missing. And we're off and running. Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Heather, I want to ask you first, and I already, I have a sneaking suspicion about what you might have to say about Strange New Worlds so far, but I would love to know how you felt about going into episode one and how you felt came, coming out of it. Um, okay. So the things I enjoyed about the first episode, um, I love the lightness that we get from the crew of the enterprise um and i don't want to say it, it's not comedy per se it's just them having fun and you know i i, I think it's something that they really found a good balance of in this episode uh where as much as i love discovery it's very serious it's very get to the point um this was very uh, fun and joking around and oops, sometimes accidents happen and the aliens we thought we sedated started running around the Enterprise corridors. Um, and why does this always happen when Ortegas is sitting in the captain's chair? <laughs> Welcome to Enterprise, where the fun never ends. But yeah, so it, it was a lot of lightness and it was a lot of fun. Um I really, out of the new characters that we met in this episode, which I'm going to classify that because I have raved about how much I am, I am excited to meet Hemmer. Hemmer did not show up until a brief glance at the end of the episode. He was not involved in this episode. Uh, out of the new characters we met in this episode, I really like La'an. So I think she was fantastic getting to know her as the... Uh, Replacement number one for the episode, and she has a really interesting backstory. And, you know, there's that last name, which you still want to find out where that came from. Uh, talking about Noonien Sings. Uh, but I, I, I love her as a character, and I really kind of related to her and just not dealing with people very well. Um, so I really like La'an, and I look forward to seeing more of her. Uh, the one thing I really didn't like is the very heavily focus that Pike was on the future that he saw from the Time Stone. 
Um, I have a lot of issues with that, uh, mainly mm. because, especially in the conversation that he had with Spock about it, he called it his death. And he's, I, I, I mean, they kind of course corrected with a couple words after that, where he was like, well, the death of the person I am today. But then with their back and forth, like Spock kept calling it his death and he kept calling it his death and he's not dead. Okay. He's not dead. He is very severely disabled, but he's not dead. And I have an issue with that <laughs> because I, I think, it, I think that's a great point. Mm -hmm. It puts a hugely negative focus on his upcoming disability. And, you know, I, I really hope at some point throughout the series, they find a balance from that negativity that they showed in this episode. So I saw this and I agreed with you, but I also liked that they went this direction with the Christopher Pike character, because since Discovery season two, Christopher Pike has always been put up on this pedestal. He's been almost a mythical character of how he's just the perfect Star Trek character, the perfect Starfleet captain. And now that we're expanding on this, uh, we're seeing that he's very human and he saw this future and he really doesn't like it. And that's something that we get to see him work through, I hope. And uh, it's more about him working his way to the point where he'll be okay with it. And I, I like to think that it humanizes the character a little bit. And I think Christopher Pike needed that. And I agree that I hope that he does get there and, and recognizes that living handicapped or disabled is not the end of your life. Uh, but right now at the point where we're at right now, I hope that this is only the beginning of that chapter of the story. What do you think, Heather? Um, yeah, like I said, um, I, I'm really looking forward to, and I think I posted something about this earlier online. I'm looking forward to seeing um, his interactions with Hemmer, who is his visually disabled chief engineer, uh, because I think a character like that can help bring balance to how Pike's feeling uh, about this and show him a different perspective of it. So I, I think Hemmer will play a huge part in that, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Okay, so guys, I really, really, really liked La'an Nunyan Singh. Like, a lot. There was something about her character and her story and just her kind of guarded personality that there was just something about that that was that connected with me really really strong just here she is she's endured so much in her life and it's really hard for her to depend on people and lean on people and now that she's on the enterprise she's gonna have to learn to be a part of a team but 
there's also this kind of kind of idea that she needs to feel like she's alive and she needs to understand that she can survive anything she's survived the absolute worst there's no big deal of going having your dna rearranged without anesthesia she can handle it and she's someone that believes that she can handle anything because because she's had no choice uh but now on the enterprise hopefully she feels like she doesn't have to be so guarded if you know what I mean, but I will say that La'an is the first character in this era of Star Trek, probably since Paul Stamets, where it's like, there is something about that character that I really, really like. I loved this episode, especially the third act, where we saw what the aliens were going to become, and Captain Pike had the presentation and showed those aliens Earth. I thought that was really well done. It was pure Star Trek. It was very, very Star Trek TOS. Also, the the moment where they were in the elevator and walking through, that was really, really a lot of fun from the alien woman smiling at Pike to Spock's DNA resequencing, uh, causing him a lot of pain. I thought that was a lot of fun. And there's some real funny moments. And I think Ethan Peck, as Spock, is delivering these lines as Spock very, very well. And and I think he he has a comedic timing that I don't think I've ever seen from Spock before, and I like it. I really liked just about everything about this episode. I really, really did. Uh, Bill, I feel like we we almost missed you talking about this. Uh, (laughs) Strange New Worlds, it's here. It's finally here. Episode one, what'd you think? You know, I I saw the first episode about five weeks ago. And I've seen the first five episodes. So I have to think about everything I'm about to say because I don't want to give too much away. (laughs) Um, (laughs) regarding Pike, I want to double back to that for a second. He is not the perfect captain because in the cage, he's already thinking about hanging it up. I mean, he's tired of deciding who lives and who dies. He's very not cool with being in command anymore. And, And I think that that's a really good place for that character to start. He may be the prototypical Starfleet captain because he's the one that Captain Kirk was based off of thematically. But I really think that Anson Mount is delivering quite a lot of great texture to this character. Um, I, I have two favorite characters after episode one. And and David, like you, Laan is, is one of mine. But so is Ortegas, because I feel like I understand Ortegas. Because I feel like we would be very similar in the way we approach the job. Um, I even in my current professional life, I think there's a wisecrack that leaves my mouth about once every 45 seconds. So I feel like Ortegas and I would get along really, really well. This is for me, the best premiere episode of a Star Trek series. And I I think that it's, it's just going to keep doing great things in all honesty. Uh, Bill, 
were you one of the select few, and I'm not asking for spoilers, were you one of the select few that got to see the first five episodes? I was. Okay. All right. I was. Not, not asking for any more. That was nope. just a yes or no. Okay. Um, I, I am excited for every character of Strange New Worlds, and everything that I've read from reviews is that we're going to love all of these characters, and... It really feels like, and I said this yesterday, more than I enjoyed episode one, I enjoyed seeing so many people express such enthusiasm and such positive feedback for this show. I said way back that I thought Star Trek Strange New Worlds could be special. It could be the next gateway Star Trek series. And I really feel like it's on its way to being that. The it it feels thing, like it's hitting on all cylinders so far. Sorry about that. The only thing I'll tell you is that after the first five episodes, I am still just as excited. All right. I, I don't think there's a miss at all episode-wise in the first five. And I love how these characters are being rounded out. Um, I'm being as general as I can. There's specifics I would love to tell you or be able to talk about, but that will all happen in good time. Um, But I am, I'm certainly not disappointed by anything I've seen yet. I usually don't care about spoilers at all, but with this, I don't want to be spoiled anyway. I don't want to be spoiled. Yeah, you really Uh, don't. Heather, we are going to see chief engineer hammer next episode. And better. We, oh, we we are. We definitely are. Um, there was a, a preview on the Ready Room, and it it was starring Hammer. So he's definitely going to be on the next episode. Good. So you you've got to be excited. Got to be. I, uh, I'm just here for Hammer. All right. <laughs> I think that needs to be a shirt. <laughs> Well, I think I think we've all named our favorites on this show. And lo and behold, it doesn't necessarily have to be one of the big three. So yeah. everything about this is just Yeah, Strange New Worlds. It looks like it looks like it's gonna be pretty good one episode in. And I think that'll cover it, Heather. What do you think? I think that covers it. Yeah, I think yeah, we've talked long enough. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, Bill, thank you so much for joining us for our 50th episode. Uh, Please tell the two or three people out there that don't know who you are and what you've got going on, all of the fantastic work you're doing. (laughs) Well, first, I want to say congratulations on 50 episodes. You know, in the life cycle of a podcast, if you make it past the first 10, odds are you're going to succeed. A lot of podcasts fail before their 10th episode. That's an industry statistic. Um, the fact that you guys have hit 50 just tells me that there's nothing but great things going on and even more great things are going to occur. I believe in milestones. I believe they should be celebrated. So sincere congratulations to you both. I think this is fantastic. And here's to the next 50. Amen. Um, Heather? <laughs> you didn't even let him, let him talk about his podcast. I know. I, I feel right. a for a minute. I'm sorry about that. Um, yes. Uh, we at Trek Geeks, we have at last count at least a dozen podcasts currently in production. 
There are some that are on a bit of a break, you know, that the pandemic and all and, and life happens and we understand that, but um, we, we're pretty proud of the things that we're doing over there. We have so many great shows all by passionate Star Trek fans. We are expanding our charity outreach as a network this year. Earlier this year, we did the telethon for the Hollywood food coalition, and we are looking at several more things that we can do throughout 2022 and beyond to sort of give back to, to fandom and people who really need it. So um, if you haven't listened to Trek geeks, I get it. Um, well, you know, Dan's kind of tough on the ears, but if you uh, head on over to trekgeeks.com, you can find all of our podcasts, including shows like Sci-Fi Sisters and Deep Space Pride and The Divine Treasury and really something for just about everybody. And you absolutely should. You should check them all out because they're all quality Star Trek podcasts. Heather. Yes. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing this podcast with me for 50 episodes. Thank you for doing for for doing this with me. Thank you for talking Star Trek with me. Thank you for disagreeing with me on stuff. I love when we disagree and argue on stuff. I absolutely love it. Thank you for being a different perspective than my own. Thank you for being exactly the co-host I wanted exactly the co-host i needed and thank you for being my best trek friend thank you thank you thank you so much well david you know thank you for doing this with me as well like i i never thought in a million years i would actually be co-hosting my own podcast and and you know now i i've had so much time and experience and it's just something i enjoy doing on a regular basis so thank you for doing that uh, the, all that other stuff no i don't like disagreeing with you come on you're annoying sometimes <laughs> oh i'm i'm extremely annoying uh you, you, you're about as annoying as dan is which is why dan's not here exactly <laughs> um we can only take also, so much Dan has an invitation to come on the podcast, but you know, he has to actually follow me on Twitter first so I can DM him. Um, so Dan, if you listen to this, you know, you got to actually follow me if you want to come on the podcast. Other than that, you're not getting invited. I'm just saying. I, I, I think that's all very, very smart to insist upon. <laughs> and if I didn't say it with everything else, Heather, Thank you for putting me in my place when I need it, because I absolutely do. You're welcome, always, for that. Until next time, everybody, this has been the Promenade Merchants Podcast. If you've been sticking around for any amount of our 50 episodes, thank you so much. If this is your first time tuning in, you can check us out wherever podcasts are aggregated. Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts. It's everywhere. And if you just want the regular old RSS feed, it is at DeltaJulietMike.com. You can follow us on Twitter at PromTrekPod. That's P-R-O-M TrekPod. Thank you all for listening. Heather, thank you again. Bill, thank you for joining us. And until next time, everybody... Live long and send source.